Over the last week or two, I've been talking to my wife about this um, kind of motto from Charlotte Mason, um, where she kind of posits her, uh, she calls it the chain of right doing. Um, and it's kind of like the order that she lays out um, as like how one acts in the world. And so the the motto is, I am, I ought, I can, I will. And so breaking that out, she she says, I am, in that we have the power of knowing ourselves. I ought. We therefore have within us a moral judge to whom we feel ourselves subject and to and who points out and requires us of our duty. I can is that we are conscious of the power to do which we perceive that we ought to do. And I will, and we determine to exercise that power with a volition, which is in itself a step in the execution of that which we will. So that seems all right to me as a like chain of action. In but that I, order. Yeah, in that order. Yeah. Um, I wanted to kind of break down some of those things as to why they're in that order. As like, why is why does I am lead to an I ought, um, mm. et cetera. Um, so one of the first questions I, I wanted mm. to bring up on that is, um, this is something also that I saw from... Shapiro, he was talking to Russell Brand, his conversation on Daily Wire, and he was talking about the difference between Judaism and Christianity in that uh, Judaism is more like you act and then you believe. Like you like you, you do the law, and that is like your expression of your faith as opposed to Christianity, where it's like you believe and then you act. I don't know if that's a little bit of a caricature mm. <laughs> of both, but um, so like what is y'all's understanding of do we act then believe or do we believe then act? Like how does that work out? I'm trying to think, is the Thomistic axiom essence precedes existence? Oh man. Uh, <laughs> Sorry to put you on the spot. <laughs> well, I, I, well, cause I, um, I think that's right because I think, uh, <clears throat> was it Sartre flipped it? Yes. The the existentialists yeah. flipped that. Well, and and I, th- I think Descartes would have flipped that too. Yeah. Like I, uh, I think, therefore, I am. Yes, it's that's like, right. You know, his yeah. um, existence precedes his essence, right? Right, which is uh, a fundamental flipping philosophy, mm-hmm. where it's like I put my my being comes before being objectively, mm-hmm. right? And so that's where you have the subjective, the subjective versus the uh, objective right. uh, flip. Um, and so I think it's right to say that essence precedes existence. Essence, as in like nature, being precedes the existence of that um uh-huh. uh, of that essence right um that's the first thing i thought of yeah and so i think um i was breaking that down a little bit i am i ought i can i will it, it seems like it's being morality ability freedom right yes um and yeah. and, and i think um i think that that's right i'm tr- trying to figure out ability how that fits in but but that seems like you know being is First and foremost, mm-hmm. then when you realize who you are, you um, the the natural question that uh, follows that should be, well, what am I for, right? Well, what is what is my being for? And that's morality, like the end, right? The end goal of mm-hmm. your being, like a telos. Uh, yeah, telos exactly. Um, that's how you properly understand nature. Mm-hmm. Um, and then to realize that you have the ability to um, actually achieve that goal, right? And you're free to achieve it. Right. Or you embody that the concept that you you have the capacity. You know what I'm saying? It's like once you have yeah. the ought, you have to then know that you have the capacity to make that ascent and yeah. then you embody that. Right. But the well the, the, the I can I will distinction is I can as in um I as a human person mm-hmm. uh have the ability to achieve my end. Yes. And then I will is I will choose a good. I am free to choose a good, right? Um that's all very Thomistic, I think, or at least, uh, you know, Aristotelian, maybe. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Um, I, I don't, I don't, I don't want to box it in and mm-hmm. say this equals that for sure. But I think that that's definitely in line with uh, like a Christian understanding of human nature um, and how freedom works based off of our understanding of nature. Um, right. So. Yeah, there's, a, um, there's like some controversy over that motto because <laughs> um, a lot of her... A lot of Mason's followers have it flipped. 
Like if you look up that motto on like any mug or t-shirt or whatever, like it's actually, I am, I can, I ought, I will. I am, I can. Like they flip I the ought, ought and the can. Interesting. Um, and it's, there's no Purposely? Really, I don't, that's what we're, I'm still trying to figure out. Because um, <laughs> it doesn't seem like it's uh, intentional. It seems like more like mm. they assumed that this list was just like, like four colors, like red, green, blue, orange. Right. And as opposed to like a particular order. That flows um, out of each other. Right. Yeah. And I was like, if you put it in that order, it makes, it has so many implications. Sure. But like the am yeah. leads to an ought. And even Mason says like the ought comes from, or the, the can is that we are conscious of the power to do which we perceive we ought. So obviously that comes before it. Right. Um, yeah. So it's just interesting to, to, I've been trying to like, Think about this concept and think about how each one leads to an implication of the next. Um, but then particularly how when raising children, particularly like zero to seven, it seems that, well, first, before I go to that, let's let's talk about like our own motivations for right doing, right? So it's like if I want to uh, pray more, that has that I can like conceptualize that in myself as a... Uh, who I am, and that gives me an ought, and then I determine, and then I realize mm -hmm. that I can enact those things, and then I determine to do it, right? So, like in my attempt to do the good, I go through that process. Am mm -hmm. ought can will. Um, in children, when raising children, it seems that we, from the top down, have them go through that process in reverse, because they don't have the capacity to understand who they are yet. Yeah, and so. This is where I want to ask about like experiential knowledge and things like that, because it seems that like from a child's standpoint, we tell them that they will and they obey. Mm -hmm. And then they eventually learn the habit and realize that they can. Then they learn that that makes them a better person and realize that they ought to continue to do mm -hmm. that. And then, then the revelation of who they are is revealed to them. So in a child development stage, it seems that it's I will, I can, I ought, I am. Mm -hmm. As opposed to like the other way around, because they can't conceptualize that. Yeah. Now, yeah, that also parallels the way that I would experience, and from an experience, experiential knowledge way, um, wanting to pray more, right? Like I can conceptualize that I should do that from am, ought, can, and will, but I don't truly know from an experience point that I should do that. And that it's a reflection of who I am until I go reverse, until I actually pray. And then mm -hmm. I realize that I can make that a habit in my life. And then it reflects that I ought to do that. And it, it reveals to me who I am. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like from the, so that I want to, I want to know the categories of like experiential knowledge versus when Faith. you can think about it in oh. your head. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah. So thoughts and comments, <laughs> please <laughs> educate me. <laughs> um. Well, with the the ch the child um, rearing example, I think is really interesting because that that is exactly right. That you don't um, before the age of reason, you can't show them like, well, you know, how do you refine your desire and then chase yeah, your right. desire? Like that's like that doesn't that doesn't work. Mm -hmm. um, and so there is uh, a, a strong emphasis on habit building with kids mm -hmm. uh, until. They can actually parse those things out intellectually. Uh, it's like Saint Augustine; he was famously um, known for thinking that like children are, you know, I'm, I'm, this is a caricature, but he, they're like demons. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I quote that all the time <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> to my children. No, 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 but like for for him, like Augustine was like, in, in no greater example um, uh, is the fall of man shown in children uh -huh. than than in children. Because <laughs> um, like, well, because right. they they're they just want what they want. Yeah, like there's no self control there, right? And, mm -hmm. and they're just gonna do whatever they can to get what they want, um, because their intellect is not yet formed. And so, there is value to training your will like a muscle, mm -hmm. uh, so that when the time comes, the foundation of um, choosing what's good for you, even if you don't understand it, is laid there. Right? Does that make sense? Yeah. Right. Yep. Um, so yeah, from a child rearing. Um, perspective that 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 makes sense. The question is like when we start to then question our ideas and our habits, um, 
you know, when, when we talk about habits, um, there's a lot of, um, so, um, I, I think the implication there is virtue. And, and virtue is often misunderstood as just a habit. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not. There's more to it. And we can get to that um, in a little bit. But, yeah, that's that's my first initial thought from what you said. Mm-hmm. I, I, I'm not sure. I haven't given that much of a thought in terms of, like, prayer and, like, using this Mason um, motto. motto and flipping, flipping it and then acting on it in reverse mm-hmm. is uh, – I don't know if that maps on perfectly to prayer. I haven't thought about it. Well, that's it. what I want to. I want to like know the distinctions. Like, if there's like a an actual like, what are the categories of knowing? Where it's like I can think <clears throat> about it in my head in this order, but then if I want to enact it, the experience, the experiential knowledge, seems like it happens in reverse. Like, are, what are there categories for that in the world that I'm not aware of? Well, I don't know if you would call that experiential. Experience, experiential knowledge is just coming to something, um, and you know something through your senses. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, if I've never encountered a um, a bottle of water before, right. uh, I would see this bottle of water now you and I would it. extract the universal. Mm-hmm. Um, and is that what creates the fan? The phantasm is that extracted universal? Is that what that is? Uh, so the phantasm is, uh, in I think, in the imaginal power. Okay. So it's, it's um, your senses... You receive, or your five senses come together in your. This is scholastic, mm-hmm. very scholastic, very yes. scholastic. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, the five senses come together with the common sense power, mm-hmm. and that gives you the sense species. I think like the sense image, and yeah. then that goes from there to you know your memory and your right. imaginal power. That's the I believe the phantasm. Okay, um, because what your higher intellect does, the possible intellect is it makes. Um, the universal, I believe, it abstracts the it, essence. That's what it, okay. okay. Is that, sorry. So, is, yes. so the phantasm, I think, is the image. Okay. Okay, uh, I see. But, right. Yeah. It's not the it's not the um, extracted universal yet. Right. Okay. Yeah. You're right. Um, in simpler terms, <laughs> so we don't get yeah. bogged down in scholasticism. <laughs> um, that like when you experiential knowledge is when you experience something, um, you understand what a bottle of water is because you held it. Yeah, uh, and then when you come across another bottle of water, even if it doesn't look the same, mm-hmm. you're able to say that's a bottle of water, right? Um, which is really interesting. Like in terms of um, just thinking about how we know things, is that I can come across a bottle of water that I've never seen before in a color that I've nev- never seen right. before, and still identify it immediately as a bottle of water. Mm-hmm. That's because we've ex- uh, we have uh, we have the power to grasp universals, mm-hmm. right? Um, in a platonic sense, right? You have like the the form of the bottle of water, and then you have the particulars of the bottle um, of waters that exist. Um, so that's experiential knowledge. So how does that compare to like, as opposed to experiencing physical things? What about experiencing justice? You know, like yeah. I'm t- I'm kind of talking more yeah. phenomenologically. Yeah. As of like, how do you experience I ought? Mm-hmm. You know, how do you experience I am um, other than going through an embodied life and then experiencing that you will and experiencing yeah. that you can? You know, like, what is it, what is that category called? Like, what does it call to 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 know that you can do something? Like, that, what well, kind of yeah. knowledge is that? Um, that's a knowledge based on your soul. And, and I, I think like Augustine would say that these things, um, they're beyond... They're beyond our judgment. Like they don't, we don't judge them. They judge us. Mm-hmm. And and there's a sense of like, it's just built within, like natural law. And uh, you know, going back to the child thing, it, it's funny because while Augustine would claim that, in like children are the greatest example of a fallen world, <laughs> at the same time, um, there is uh, a natural law that we all abide to from birth. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not saying that like, you know, a child knows that it's wrong to murder. Um, but, you know, even kids who are playing, well, like if they hurt somebody else and the other kids start crying, like why does that kid cry then too, right? right? Or so, so, something like that. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, maybe it's not a perfect example. Mm-hmm. But my, my point is, is that um, these things are also built in our souls that are not just um, uh, conventional. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the first thing I'd say. Uh, this just requires more thought. I don't know. 
I, I don't know if it would be an experience of like your your own free will that you're not mm-hmm. a you're not a slave to your passions or you're not a slave to circumstance that you're actually able to manipulate the world around you. Um, right. I think Peterson's talked about this a little bit with children. Is they learn what like the pointing thing? Yeah, they learn that they mm-hmm. can actually get people around them to do what they want. Um, or they can interact with, with other people with a language and communication uh, that they're not just kind of beholden to this moment or their desires. Because, you know, in the reverse, you think of someone who maybe has uh, different addictions. It's like the, the addiction has them. And they right. don't feel as though they can right. or they ought or mm-hmm. they will because mm-hmm. this thing has them. Yep. So maybe it's, a I don't know, an experience of your freedom. Like, yeah. that flows from your soul right you right yeah i think i um, think that's that's definitely part of it i was um i'm trying to recall man i'm just like trying to really reach back into like my <laughs> like philosophy <laughs> um training here um i think it was it was plato's euthyphro um his um uh um dialogue um i just looked that up now it's plato's euthyphro <laughs> where he talks about the nature of justice and um, he's talking to now, you know, I don't have it in front of me exactly. But again, I'm just trying to recall Plato's talking to or I'm sorry, Socrates is talking to someone who is offering up um, uh, is a pious man to his mm. gods. And the question is, are you pious because the gods demand it mm. or are you pious because it is good? To be pious, right? And then the gods demand, um, and the gods accept what is good, right? And so it's like, and I think like through the dialogue, if I can remember, through the dialogue, um, there's they come to this understanding that like there's something about justice. Piety is um, justice towards God, uh, essentially. You can understand piety like that. So justice, let's say in this case, is something that is good in itself, and not something that's just um, demanded of. And so, again, just pointing again to, like, this knowledge within ourselves. And so when we see things in the particular um, of justice being done and injustices being done, we know it down to our core that something's not right. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, like, why, why is it when we see an injustice done that we get upset? Like, doesn't that point to a universal? Right. And that's... That's a reflection of who we are, essentially. Like, and, yeah. and like you don't want to miss that step. So it essentially seems that Plato is alluding to, like, do you obey God because he demands it of you? Or is it because it's a reflection of who you are? And that comes from an ought, yes. a can and will. Right. So, like, it has to go all the way down yeah. is what he's kind of yeah. pointing at. Uh, I'm sure, like, you know, people who are listening, that if I got that wrong, I'm sorry. <laughs> but but right. I, I from think... From the youth of Yeah. The no, I, that, that's right. Is that right? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, so... Anyway, I, this is a bit tangential, but at the same time, there is experiential knowledge even with justice mm-hmm. um, that we come to like we come to know justice better by the way we experience justices and injustices being done in a lot in our lives, right? right. Yeah, yeah, yep. Um, what else? Yeah, so <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to I'm, I'm trying, trying to, to tie this into something, uh, kind of. Kind of along the lines of atomic habits and things like that, where he has this example. Who is the author of Atomic Habits? James Clear. James Clear, yeah. thank you. Um, he talks about, you know, when you want to quit smoking, um, you it's better to say, I'm a non-smoker when offered a cigarette, even though if you just quit yesterday, as opposed to, I'm trying to quit smoking. Mm-hmm. Because... It's a deeper seated idea that like then permeates through your actions. Like I am a non-smoker. I ought to not smoke. I can not smoke and mm-hmm. I will not smoke. As opposed to like starting somewhere up that chain of like I ought not smoke, even though if I am a smoker. Right. Like now you've got a discombobulatedness. Yeah. Um Right. So it just the in the way that that was a that was an interesting concept when I read that in his book. Um and it kind of maps onto this, but also in that uh, the even the idea of atomic habits as like small habits that kind of reveal your character to yourself. Mm-hmm. 
again, like I'm trying to see how that works in reverse. And I'm wondering if that has to do with like wisdom. What was what before we started the podcast, we were talking about wisdom versus what was the other type of knowledge? Uh, uh, <coughs> uh scientific knowledge or like Yeah, it's science, um, I think understanding. Okay, yeah. And wisdom. Yeah. Mm. Um as three types. Yes. Um I I'm I'm more familiar just with uh um the two distinctions of you have like scientific knowledge and then you also have faith. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you can characterize it like that. Mm-hmm. I think the, maybe the more um, uh, Hellenistic term would be gnosis, but I, I could be wrong about that. Is it gnosis? That sounds more um, Aristotle. Yeah. But I, I think I might also be getting um, confused with like there's intellectual virtues. Mm. And the ver- okay, I, yeah, I think the intellectual yeah, right. virtues are science, understanding, and wisdom. However, those could also be perhaps argued ways of knowing, right? Yeah, you know, right. that you yeah. like wisdom is the highest because it yeah. is the ultimate cause of things. Right. Um, so let's, yeah, let's but, look, work that out. Like, and this is like, you know, in the ultimate sense, in the, in the idea of faith, um, if it's revealed to you that, you know, obviously the revelation from God is, is who we are. And then that dictates the ought, the can mm-hmm. and the will. Um, if we just conceptualize that in our head without embodying it or taking a leap of faith, is that is that merely like a type of calculation? You know, so I'm thinking about like just from my experience, like if I want to, if I know in my head that, you know, Christianity is real and I, I uh, accept the premises that it lays out as to who we are, mm-hmm. but I'm not like living that life. But so like I'm I'm there. I haven't like taken the leap of faith. Almost like Douglas Murray. Right. Where is he? So scholastically <laughs> scholastically he would lack faith. Okay, yeah. And so but what kind of knowledge does he have about the reality of that propositional? Right. Essentially. Because yeah. okay. he's accepted exactly. the propositions okay. of the faith, but has not taken the leap right. of yeah. faith. Because uh for I guess a very scholastic definition of faith is is that it's a virtue that resides in the intellect. Mm-hmm. But you still need the assent, which is of your will. Right. So people can be, you know, accept all the propositions. But if there's the internal act of, uh, I think, um, mental acceptance, but then there's also the external act of doing. Right. And if you're not doing, if you're not acting, yep. then you can't say that you have full faith. Mm-hmm. Right. That's what I would say. Yeah, yeah. no, absolutely. Yep. Yeah. That's okay. right. Okay. So before we lose that train, so, so now we've made the leap. And we're going to now embody that. What is it called when you now experience that as reality? Like you've made the leap of faith and then you do do the thing. You you do the prayers and you live the Christian life. And so now you experience that as opposed to just knowing it. So mm-hmm. you move from propositional knowing to, this is what Verveke would call participatory knowing. Okay. But I yeah, don't know yeah. if there's a different term for that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that, that sounds... I like that. I yeah, that I've never good. heard that term before. Yeah, that works, and I think that um, yeah. when uh, the thing is like, if you we, we I just we just saw the Matrix um, the other day. <laughs> nice. Um, the the my um, all of our siblings never yeah. watched it. Yeah, um, I haven't watched it either. It's unfortunately. really good. Um, that was the second time I've seen it. Um, but there's a line in there that I I just thought of um, where Morpheus says to Neo, um, "There's a difference between knowing the way and walking the way." Yeah, for um, sure. Yeah. yeah. That's and, essentially what I'm talking about. And, well, and that's exactly that's that's what being a disciple of Christ means. Mm-hmm. Is not to know the way mm-hmm. or admire the way, but right. to follow right. the way. Um yep. and until you do that, you are not a Christian. Mm-hmm. Um there's also that quote from the movie Terrence Malick's movie, um, A Hidden Life, that there are many admirers of Christ, but not many followers. Mm. Um and uh, unless if you again again, if you unless if you follow the way um, you're not a Christian, and that knowledge is almost—it's almost insulting, because the whole point of knowing, like mm-hmm. the, the 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 precepts of Christianity, is to actually embody it. Right. Um, and so yeah. it's almost like um, how Aristotle talks about the ethics. Um, his Nicomachean Ethics. He begins um, that book by saying, "This is a very dangerous book to read if you're not going to enact it, mm. because then you are more culpable of you know not being right. an ethical person." Um, right. And the same thing is true with Christianity. 
Uh, and so, like, that division between being and knowing mm-hmm. um, actually creates a lot of tension in the soul, too. Mm-hmm. Um, like, because your, your will and your intellect are not, they're running perpendicular to each other, not parallel to each other. And whenever you're, those things are at a crossroad, mm-hmm. then there's tension. Um, and this is the whole point of going backwards uh, with um, Mason's motto, I will, I can, I ought, I am, is that um, that that seems to be more existential. That's exa- right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. And so, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, what, like, what do I want? Uh, and I'm like looking inside my desires. And then once you follow that, I, I can, like I, I, I will, uh, I have the freedom, mm-hmm. like your freedom is the basis, that's very existential. And then you act upon that, like I, I have the ability to actually act, that, uh, act upon that. And then once you follow that enough, it's like, this is what I ought to do. Yes. And then you start to know who I am. Yes, right? but it's reversed. Um, yeah, it is right. reversed. So, so here's yeah. the thing that I'm proposing. This is one of the things, uh, this, is, this reflects one of the things that it means to become like a child again. Mm, interesting right so making that leap of faith from i am i ought i can i will from a propositional knowing making the leap to then enact it into participatory knowing is entering into a childlike state again of saying like i have this proposition from above we could call from parents from god from our intellect which is above but now i'm going to live that law out Mm -hmm. and enter into a obedience type way to experience that true sense of I am, I ought, I can, I will. And mm-hmm. it goes in reverse. Like you do the thing and then you realize that you can, then you ought, and then it yeah. reflects who you are. That's it. <laughs> That's it. Go into the that uh, participatory, right? Yep. Um, faith. I think that's true because if, if, um, if faith is a virtue, virtue inclines you to act. So those who don't if if you're not humble, you don't act humble, mm-hmm. mm. right? Like you don't have that virtue of humility. So so the same thing with faith is one who acts. Uh, the virtue of faith has faith, if that, if that mm-hmm. yeah makes right. sense. Right. So uh, in the same way of like you're participating by your actions, so you're participating in the virtue of faith. Yeah. So I think that's yep. I think that's accurate. Yeah, and uh, I don't I don't think that's a one time thing. That's oh, that's cyclical. You know, we always go oh, right. from that propositional yeah. to the patar- the participation, and we're always checking ourselves and and making propositions that we assume and then embody that, mm-hmm. and like that's constantly happening, even just in the life of faith. But that also like broken down to habits in general. We have that propositional of what I should be doing, yeah, because I am, I ought, I can, and then I will, and you make the leap of faith to do the thing, and then you experience that as a child would from a parent, and then that makes you a better person. Right. And then you just keep going around the cycle and yeah, become a better, better yeah. person. I, I just thought of uh, St. Ignatius of Loyola's uh, beginning meditations in spiritual exercises. I think it does kind of begin with this I am, I can. It's I am, I can? I ought. I, I, yeah. No, I, I, am, I am, I ought. I ought. Okay, that's mm-hmm. what I thought. But yeah. I've heard it like a million times now. <laughs> yeah. but, I wrote it down, um, yeah. I am, I ought, yeah. I can, I will. Um, it's the beginning with wh- who are you? Mm-hmm. Like what, what are you? It's, you know, you're a human made in the image and likeness of God. Mm-hmm. Okay, so with that information, what ought you do? Mm-hmm. And it's, well, I ought to work for my salvation and, and my holiness and bring as many people to mm-hmm. Christ as I can. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. what I ought to do. Right. Can you do that? Okay, well, what's your state in life? Mm-hmm. So he kind of goes through a meditation of that. Even has one that's like, what, uh, what have I done for Christ? What ought I do for Christ, or something that are like, mm. what will, or what I ha- what have I done? What am I doing, and what will I do mm. for Christ? Is, right. is a quick yep. meditation. So yep. it's saying, kind of ought can. Yeah. Um, yeah. So you know, what are you? You're made in the image, the likeness of God. What should you do? I should pursue holiness. What can like? How can you do that? Uh, given your state in life, and then the final is, okay, now I've done all this. Will you? Right. Yeah. You right. have the will, but now mm-hmm. will you take that mm-hmm. that final? Yeah. Uh, step. It's not enough to kind of, as you were saying, Matt, uh, give these propositions to yourself. Right. But then now you have to go and do it. Do, do it. the thing. Yeah. yeah, that's really interesting. That's why, like, I think that the conversation, I know, like, you and I and our sister Lisa has ha- have had this conversation about, like, um, like, is virtue just a habit? Mm-hmm. Um, and 
like you, you know some of her critiques on things like atomic habits like you know th- it's not just this type of like do the thing and that'll make everything better mm-hmm. um but i think the deeper understanding is that like you're returning into a child state to conform to that proposition that you have yeah. in your head and then you experience that as true and then you continue the cycle right um yeah yeah and i think that like forming those habits um and treating your um Treating your will like a muscle, I guess, would be the mm-hmm. um, the the proper image there. Uh, like you're exercising it. it. It's it's good on a level again, like as I said earlier, to to form a foundation of choosing the good. Um, you know, um, it, it, what what did C.S. Lewis say about? He said, "Heaven is an acquired taste, mm-hmm. right? Um, just like it's kind of like wine." Like the first time you try wine, mm-hmm. it's like, okay, what is this? It's sour. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not like, you know, it's not chocolate milk, you know. Um, <laughs> I think it turns into Classic. like child, childlike, you know, <laughs> tastes, you know. Yep. Um, no, but once you actually um, understand it and try it and like, you know, someone, especially if someone explains to you the complexity of it, you actually start to appreciate it and then you acquire the taste for the good. The wine doesn't change. Your your desire for it changes uh, through uh through habit, right? Like, you know, the, the more you taste it, the, 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 the more you get used to the taste and also through learning. Mm-hmm. So, um, so all that's to say is that, yes, you can train your will like a muscle, but that's not primarily how adults, <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, adults work in terms of what, uh, uh in, in order to choose the good. Right. Like what is that mature movement towards the good? Yeah. It's not, that childish movement yeah. in, in reverse. Like, uh, ideally, you get to a point where your very existence wants to move towards the good. Yeah. And that's, like, Dante's desire and yeah. hierarchy of loves and stuff. Right. Because, I mean, you know, I think we know this um, intuitively that it's just to work off of habit and that's it is very robotic. It is almost like yep. not a, a human element in mm-hmm. living. Um, if all you're doing is just going through the motions like a robot habitually... You know, what freedom is there in that? Um, right. Like that intentionality to say, like, I actually want this. Right. Now, that that doesn't mean that your entire life has to be a series of deliberate, I desire this. Um, again, like, going, like I'm not negating habit. Mm-hmm. Habit is necessary. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but to also realize that, you know, you have actually, like, you're moved by the good. And then, like, your habits are actually... Um, able to align with that, your desire for the good. Um, right. Yeah. If you feel like you're bending your will constantly, it means that you don't truly in, understand in the sense of like the wisdom understand of yeah. who you are. Yeah. And like right. there's a misalignment there. And so like when you go through that process of habit formation, um, you're basically trying to realign your idea of who you are. Yeah. And then once that's realigned, then you move easily yeah. towards something. Our our will is moved by the good. Yeah. That's right, that's right. that was, And then a misperception of that is a hamartia. That's yeah. essentially what that is. Like your your original disposition of who you think you are is why you're ordered towards a good that's not actually a good. Right. And that's what a sin well, is. Well, right. And and the danger in the opposite of virtue is vice. And so the danger in um uh misperce- like uh, uh missing the mark um desiring something that is not good and then building a habit around that right is um really dangerous mm-hmm. and like that's how you get into addiction mm-hmm. um habitual sin uh and, and there, there there's a lot of undoing that needs to be done when someone is caught into that cycle um yeah. because when you are desiring something and then you form a habit around that it's hard to break that but the, like but i say like that's the negative but the positive is that it's very beautiful when you can form habits around a good mm-hmm. um and to be almost assured and anchored in saying, like, I am living a good life, you know, right. and, like, yep. even my habits, everything aligns with that. Um, the, the classic example, I remember in our morality class, um, some of our uh, devotees of Thomas <laughs> were um, a little shaken by this idea of being moved by desire mm. rather than... Um, Moving, uh, you treating your or... will like a muscle. Uh-huh. Uh, th- those two distinctions, and I, I, you know, I'm, I'm. That's a caricature. Um, Thomas would agree with this, <laughs> um, but I think there's a there's a cliche um, in 
Christianity, modern Christianity, to think that desire is somehow evil, right? Mm-hmm. But we've talked about this before, and it's very Dantian mm-hmm. to say like you purify your desires. It's not that this is the, the what you desire is evil, but um, the great example that my um, morality formator, yeah, you know, my morality teacher and formator gave is that he's like, imagine if you uh, struggle with getting up early, and you want to. You you want to fix that. You see the good in waking up early, and so, you in order to fix it, you just start setting your alarm five minutes earlier, and you try and get into this habit of waking up early. Mm-hmm. Yes, that could work. You know, that's not a horrible um, advice. But he said, imagine if you know one day your friend is flying from out of town, and you have to pick him up at the airport at five a.m., and you love your friend. You haven't seen him in a year. Mm. Even if you struggle with getting up early, that desire to see your friend is going to override your um, tendency right. to stay in bed. Right. And that's a that's an excellent example of how our wills are motivated by desire. Right. Like, there's no habit formed there, and yet the person desires to break out of his habit of sleeping in. Right. Um, yeah. So what is the solution there? Like if you are the, well, struggling with waking up, it's almost your that, friend is like, not flying in every day. Right. 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 <laughs> right. This is the atomic right. habits thing, where it's like you, um, you're not just and i use that word just like like it's not merely just setting the alarm at an early time Mm -hmm. because that's what you do to make the habit it's it's the like deep contemplation about how this will be a reflection of who you are and then again you have that propositional statement and then you make the leap of faith to do it so it's like it's kind of our obligation to reflect on those things at at a deep level as to realize that all of our actions are orientations towards a good or a non-good yeah mm-hmm. um and so yeah like i think that you do have to create a habit of getting up early but why mm-hmm. like it, it's yeah, our, yeah. it is like it's extremely important that we ask why mm-hmm. and then have that proposition that we take the leap of faith towards yeah right because the uh, scholastic <laughs> um <laughs> scholastic warning the scholastic warning <laughs> uh so the the intellect has to grasp the good the good thing yes yeah. And and usually it's not just uh, as Thomas would say the universal good. Like this is a good thing for everyone, but it has to be a good for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. It, like at this present moment. Yes. Um, because a lot of people know it's like yeah, yeah, religion's good, or yeah, 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 waking up early is good, but it has to be good for you. Right. Mm-hmm. So your intellect has to grasp that and then proposes it to the will. And it's interesting. Thomas also calls the will the rational appetite. Mm. Okay, interesting. So there, there is an idea of appetite, which is the desiring power. Yeah. But then also that there, it's not just like this animalistic, your uh, pure, pure desire. It's right. it, there's in this rational component to the will of it has to be moved by something a little bit higher. It has to be moved by a reason or a motive. But the rational, it's interesting to call the will rational, because that would it sounds like that's the realm of the intellect, but. But I think it's, it's right yeah. because the, the will has to be informed by the intellect. Right. right? Yeah, because so, you can't, um, in a sense, like, you're not just like. Good. I'm sorry? Well, to know some, that, yeah. that something is good, you have to, it has mm-hmm. to pass through the intellect. And then, it, like you said, it presents it to the will. Right. Because so yeah. even like uh, going back to faith, like it's like the act, uh, belief or act, it's so intertwined that it's, it's hard to tell. Because I think people would say, you know, I can live by pure will. Right. Or I, I appear to live by pure will. But technically speaking, you're you're not because mm-hmm. you're making quick, rational judgments right. that you don't even know or propositions. Yeah, yeah. subconscious. Of like, yeah, oh yeah. no, this this is good for me, and then the will just says yes. Yeah, and this yeah. is, the tr- you know, addiction and habituation again. Is it happens so quickly right. once you've habituated it that you don't even know yeah. that you're grasping. Now would be a good time for me to drink, even though it's ten a.m. Yep. Yeah. You know, just yep. boom. Yep. Mimosa. Yeah. <laughs> Take the edge off. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, that, yeah, that's exactly right. I am reminded of The Lion King, where (laughs) Mufasa says to Simba, remember who you are. Not like, hey, go be a king. Like, you ought to do this. Yeah. Like, you can do this. You will do that. Like, it it starts from the base of who are you. Yeah. And that then informs his action. Mm -hmm. But he's not king until he... Goes and does the thing, yeah. Because you know, he could be sitting around, be like, "Yo, Timon Pumbaa, like, I'm a king. I remember that I'm a king." It's like, yeah. but you're not until you do the thing, right? So it's that like reverse again. Then he will, and then realizes that he can, and that he ought, and and then yeah. he becomes that. Yeah, 
you know, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> scholasticism still real. It's still with us. <laughs> I know, still alive. <laughs> I know. Um, and and as much as um, I don't really consider myself like a scholast, like a a, a follower of scholasticism. Mm-hmm. It's like these distinctions are very important. Um, what else? What else? Is um, you know, I haven't really, uh, I haven't really thought this through entirely, but uh, I guess I don't know. I guess it's interesting. It's a little esoteric. Let's go. Mm. But we can we can talk about it. Um, Not like this whole conversation wasn't esoteric. <laughs> <laughs> this conversation was medieval. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. Um, uh, so I I finished. Dune Messiah, a couple nice. like oh, you did. two weeks ago, yeah. Okay. Um, and <clears throat> I just picked up the next book, Children of Dune, the third book. And uh, you, I went to Barnes and Noble, and usually I check out the philosophy section, just you know, just mm-hmm. pop in and see what's going on. What kind of garbage is here? <laughs> yeah, you know. Um, but right next to it is the para parapsychology, I think it's called. Mm. Okay, what's that? Um. It's just a really fancy psychology. <laughs> yeah, it's it's the <laughs> yeah it's either parapsychology or parapsychology. I think it's parapsychology, but um, it's really just a fancy word for like new age, yeah, spiritualism okay. kind yeah. of thing. Um, so it's it's it was populated with tarot cards, like lo- like mm-hmm. lots and lots of tarot cards. One and and different types because you know there, I I know that there's like kind of like the original tarot cards that people played cards with before yep. they became something else. Um, but it, it got me thinking because in in this this isn't a major plot point, but in the second book of Dune, it talks about Dune tarot cards, hmm. and that um, the Reverend Mother kind of plays around with them. Princess Irulian kind of plays around with them, and they Paul can Paul Atreus can like see the future and he has all this, but the the cards like confound that somehow, and it it messes with his vision of the future, and. It doesn't seem as though the people playing with the cards really necessarily think that they're 100% true, but that they're telling them, kind of giving them a, a, a vibe about what could happen. Right. So this got me thinking about, I guess, uh, New Age spiritualism and, and, and signs in general, because then mm-hmm. after that, Sarah and I, we watched um, the famous 90s rom-com Sleepless in Seattle, and that movie is, is populated with signs. Mm-hmm. Like it's a sign. That's what they keep saying, you know. And the main actress in it is like, "No, I don't. I don't believe in signs." But then something happens. She's like, "Maybe it's a sign. It's a sign." So like, mm-hmm. people are really like, they want, they want signs of something. Right. right. Um, Saint Francis of Assisi. We're tying this all together. Let's go. When he, um, he kind of has a little band of brothers, and they wanted a rule for life, and so they went to the local priest, and they did sort of this like pious superstitious practice called uh, sortes biblicae. So it's the sorting of the Bible, and it's where the priest, um, since none of them could read Latin really, would open to a random passage in the Bible three times, and that would be the will of God. Mm. You know, so more like educated theologians and canonists kind of were like, "Eh, this is like borderline (laughs) superstition, but like we'll let the people have it. Um, (laughs) But, you know, it it opens three times to like give away your money, take up your cross, Mm I think it's like only carry like you know. I think it's like a what is the passage about only have like a staff and sandals yeah, yeah. and stuff yeah. like that. The priest is like, oh, tithing again. Uh, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, that. right. Um, and that's how he, he basically found his orders. This yeah. the sorting opens it three times, wow. and people I know do that today. Like they'll just kind of crack open the Bible yeah. and yeah. read and be like, oh, here it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I guess I'm, I'm, I've been thinking about signs, like pious superstitions, mm-hmm. and and I'm not at all advocating that. <laughs> any Christian or anyone use tarot cards, but it's, it is very interesting that um, uh, I guess I'm trying to steel man this that there if people can use the Bible in a superstitious way, mm-hmm. I've seen people make the argument for other practices, New Age practices like tarot cards. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because um, yeah. I, I I know that. Um, there's a lot of kind of discussion about are they future te- are they are they yeah. about the future are they about the present yeah um, are they about um, uh, someone I, else's I, life yeah someone yeah, else yeah, you know, or, or is it literal or symbolic mm-hmm. yeah um, because you know I'm sure you've father you've heard the story it's like someone's just like 
you know, I, I you know, I, I feel called to do something, but like my job and like what do I do? Yeah. And you know, two weeks later, they're let go from their job. It's yeah. Like, that was a That's sign. A sign. Yeah. That's a sign. You know, but then it's like, but what about these people who? So, or you were lazy in your job and you just got fired. <laughs> right. <laughs> I was like, right. No, I don't know. I, yeah. Right. I don't yeah. know. It's just like the nature of signs I've been thinking yeah. about. But. Yeah. Yeah, and that's that's um I, that's really something worth thinking about because, um, you can't negate the power of the force signs. Oh. Yeah, well, <laughs> the, the force. Uh, sure, whatever. <laughs> no, um, I I, I don't want to diminish or or negate someone's experience with signs. Sure. Like if they see a rainbow over um, you know, o- a over a house. Like, yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. Uh, it's like, oh, is this a sign? It's like, okay, there's just a few distinctions. Um, one, yes, it is a sign, actually. Um, we're surrounded by signs. You know, everything is a sign. Yeah. But the, the other thing, too, is that we have to be careful about how we interpret signs. Like, are we the arbiter of what this sign means? Right. Uh, I, and I think, you know, yeah, in that example, like a, sign, a rainbow over a house that you want to buy. Mm-hmm. Um, Take it as a sign that, like, God is watching over this moment. I was going to say, like, you could see it as, like, oh, I need to buy this house. Or you could see it as, like, God's providence will provide whatever, whatever your decision is. Whatever I decide. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, the, and, and there's a million other options right, like, that how you are you can parse out, too. Um, that's the first distinction. I think and as it relates to what you were saying, Lee, um, I, I think using the Bible as a kind of um, – Tarot card? <laughs> not Yeah, or, like, you know, using it in a superstitious way – is much safer than using a deck of tarot cards because what is contained in the Bible is uh, the way that man ought to live, right? Right, yeah. Whereas tarot cards are going to contain things that may not align with a Judeo-Christian understanding of Mm -hmm. man, right? Right. And so if you open up the Bible and say, like, whatever verse I turn to, is I'm going to embody that today, and you open it up, you can't go wrong. Yeah. Unless if you're reading about, I don't know, Bathsheba. Or <laughs> yeah, right. I don't, I don't know. Yeah. Elijah yeah, like, uh, slitting yeah. the throat. Yeah. Of yeah, yeah. Piece of ball. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well. exactly. No, but but again, it's it's also dangerous to take a verse out of context, too. Right, right. And so yeah, yeah. you want to read that in, in the mm-hmm. context of um, mm-hmm. the, the chapter and then the book, blah, blah, blah. Um, but uh, I don't think that it's necessarily wrong to actually um, to open a Bible and, and say, like, this is providential that I came to this verse. It could be. Right. It is. Let's mm-hmm. just say it is because in a sense, God governs all things. Um, there's nothing in the Bible that will lead you astray if you read it with a naive mind. Don't like impose your own interpretation mm-hmm. of like, this is what this means and this is like, what I'm going to do. Um, but when you start venturing out into things that are not scripture or based in um, the faith, mm-hmm. like tarot cards is like, you're going to turn something up that's antithetical to the way that you ought to be living. Right. So, yeah. Those I, are my initial thoughts. I, I, yeah. We can parse this out more. The tarot cards have a, uh, they're basically just like archetypal images. Of right. Like king, yeah. queen, jester. Yeah. Things like that. Yeah. So, like, those patterns show up everywhere all the time. So, it's like, that's got to go through your psyche first. And then you basically project that onto whatever you want. Like, I could see the the fool archetype, like, in everything. Mm-hmm. So it's like in my past, in my future, whatever. Like so the fact that like symbolism is everywhere, like you were saying, showing a symbol of some sort of pattern that emerges like even within like my interaction with my kid versus what job I'm mm-hmm. going to choose or like the guy I see on the street, like it's everywhere. Yeah. So it's like it's just gonna it's got it's gotta pass through your particular biased perception first and then like you were saying, it's just dangerous to to assume that that is some sort of informative direction to do something. Mm-hmm. I feel also it's a little bit of an abdication of responsibility in that yeah. you kind of like need something to tell you what to do. Right. And even sure. that, even within Christianity and like the Bible is like God's will for your life is for you to decide what to do. Freely. Right. To, yeah. yeah. So like to align yourself with the way that things are and who you are back to the original conversation yeah. and then to act. Um, as opposed to be like, no, you tell me what to do. And it's like, no, you're supposed to be matured into this action. Like, this is like what Elisa talks about with like magnanimity of mm-hmm. like your big soulness, like decide. So, yeah, I don't know. I feel like with the, all of that, the symbol, the sign thing, um, 
like zodiac signs, all of that is kind of like this, like, I need some higher power to tell me what to do as opposed to me having to deal with this existential angst. Right, well, right. And and the, this, the, the bigger conversation um, surrounding all of this is that are we, are we fated or are we free? Right. Well, <clears throat> so I, I looked this up. Or I was... You Googled that? Uh, yeah, I was, I, well, I was curious. Are we I, fated? I, <laughs> I remember uh, reading um, in the Summa Contra Gentiles with Thomas that he, uh, he, he discussed this question of fate because, um, and, and even Augustine takes it up because there's like two senses of fate. It's like one that is like predestined. He's like, well, and the other is fate in that um, a master tells a servant, go to point A, and then tells another servant separately without the first servants knowing, go to point A. And mm. they both meet and they say, this is fate right. that we met. But to the master, it's not fate. Mm. So there's this, like, is fate, it, what do you mean by fate? Like, is it on our point of view? Yeah. In which right. case, these are all signs and they're all coincidences and they're, you know, like, oh my gosh, mm-hmm. you know, why is this happen? You know, how did this happen? But from uh, like God's point of view, there's in a sense no such thing. Mm, yeah. Right. Or, or fate, you can, he says, is maybe you could equate it with perhaps divine providence, but any others, any mm-hmm. other ways yeah. is inappropriate. Um, but, but sorry. Yep. My about that word. favorite example of this question of fate and freedom is in the mo- movie Minority Report. Oh, yeah. Mm. Um, it's one of my favorite movies. Um, I've seen it like eight times. Maybe more. I don't know. I was free to choose that movie. <laughs> <laughs> I chose it eight times. Yeah, yeah, you were, you were not. You were not faded. Yeah, I was not faded. But um, it, it's a great example of how. Um, so quick um synopsis really. Uh, it, it starts with the premise that um, there's a few people that can see the future, uh, in terms of murders. They can only see like murders, and so uh, it, it's predicated on this idea that these murders will happen. Like this is the fate of these people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and one person uh, is uh, fated to commit a murder, but he doesn't even know the person. And so he's figuring out, like, well, does that mean that I will kill this person, or do I have a choice to not kill this person? And, uh, spoiler alert, the movie's been out for, like, 20 years. Yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> um, figure it out, people. Yeah, but um, <laughs> it's a great scene where he, like, he's, like, every, like, the stars around him align. He's uh, facing this guy that he's never met before, and he's about to kill him. Um, and the motivation, I won't get into the motivations of why he's going to kill him and everything, but, um, the, one of the people that can predict the future are with him. And she says, you can still choose. You can still choose. And so he's fated to kill this guy, but then in the end, he actually chooses not to. Mm. And so freedom triumphs over fate, but it's not like he was not fated. Right. And so. I think it's a really interesting dynamic, and I think it's 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 a correct way of understanding fate and freedom, is that we are fated for certain things, mm-hmm. um, in a, in in the most objective way possible. We're actually fated um, for hell, yeah. <laughs> uh, after the like you know the fall of man, but then through Christ's redemption, we're now as Christians we're fated for um, heaven. Yep. But we have to choose that, right? And so. Yep. It, it, this it's a weird dynamic. It's not either or, but it's a kind of a both and. Is that we are fated for certain things, um, but we can't actually choose against that fate. Right. But what's even more fascinating, uh, and this is the mastermind that God is, is that you have um, fates that can come out of freedom too. And so, um, and this is another example of, you know, I, I'm bringing movies and literature, yeah, or whatever. Let's, let's, go. See, let's see what happens. Um, but glasses. <laughs> um, no, in um, Tolkien's Silmarillion, mm-hmm. uh, uh, when uh, Iluvatar creates all the, um, uh, what are the angels called? The Mimar? I, I'm, um, I can't remember. <laughs> Quiz. I never, never. I'm read sorry. The I'm, the, the, yeah, the <laughs> war in there is deep. Um, but <laughs> anyway, um, uh, all, all the angels around him are. Um, 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 uh, singing the same tune, or you know, mm-hmm. um, involved in this great music that is creating the world, and uh, the Satan figure Melkor decides to play his own tune, and is dissonant. That's his freedom to break away from mm-hmm. the the, the fates, right? Um, but then what Iluvatar does is then form a more beautiful tune around Melkor's tune, right? And 
It's like this is jazz. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> well, and it's it's very Augustinian. Is that it's like God get, brings good out of evil, yeah, yeah. and like through like you know man's choice of um, uh, the fall. Uh, now the world is in a worse state than it was, but then now that allows Christ to redeem man and actually mm-hmm. bring us into a greater position right, than right. we were uh, in the first place. Um, and that's that's the the wisdom of God. Um, but. Where was I going with this? Oh, that um, th- that's uh, so out of the freedom of one of the angels, where he should have been adhering to his fate, God even created another fate out of mm-hmm. that freedom, right? Mm-hmm. And so, it, it, I think I, ultimately the the the, the fate freedom dynamic is bigger than any of us, right? And we can't say this is what you're fated for now in <clears> a particular. This is like you're free to choose. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. you are fr- act on freedom, right? Act on freedom, um, and don't act on a fate that you can't understand yet or yeah you know, in general you can say yes i'm fated for heaven mm-hmm. <laughs> because i'm a christian i'm like a you know born again through baptism um but then your fate uh, your freedom needs to choose that right in order to actually end up there in a particular yeah I that's think a lot of uh, going that, back and forth that's, that's fine <laughs> that's, i think yeah, that the, i'm gonna watch uh, minority report after this so. <laughs> go ahead and read the similar <laughs> yeah yeah um the idea of the the master telling his two servants to go to point a I think is interesting because on the one hand, the servants will see that as fate as some sort of like, you know, cloudy thing they call fate as opposed to a divine order of things. Mm -hmm. And that's really like participation in a pattern. Mm -hmm. And that's what these tarot cards are getting at of like, are you going to follow the fool archetype? Are you going to be the king? Are you going to be the queen? Like whatever, like all these different patterns that it's like, what thing are you participating in? Mm-hmm. Um, and how is that revealing itself? How is that revealing to your life? Um, like I think about like, you know, way back in this conversation, thinking about a habit like getting up early. It's like, are you fated to just always get up late and like mm-hmm. not have a habit of getting up early? Um, and then overlay that with uh, having to make a proposition that goes deep into who you are and then enacting that and then you realize that you're free to choose to live a different fate like mm-hmm. to participate in a different pattern that's Jung's quote where he says until you make the unconscious conscious it will direct your life and you will call it fate mm. yeah so it's good. like you have to know right what orientation you have in your subconscious of who you think you are or right. else that's going to be what you call fate of like why right. like it just seems like these things keep happening it's like your orientation dictates all of that yeah like, obviously, there's tragedy and there's things that befall, like, you know, blessings and curses that befall people. Um, but your experience of those things in light of who you are changes your reality. Well, and the way that you react to them can actually, in hindsight, call a curse a blessing and a blessing a curse. Yeah, for sure. You know? And yeah. that's the book of Job is that um, before God answers him um, at the end of the book, everyone around him thinks that he... Uh, uh, the tragedies that befell him is fate. Mm-hmm. It's like you, and they take it, they interpret the signs. That's what they do. They say yeah. this equals this. Right. Like your suffering means that you must have upset God somehow. Mm-hmm. Do a little tarot cards on Job and like, oh, look at this. Right. Well, yeah. and, and so like th- that's that's like interpreting signs gone wrong. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the thing is that it, I think it usually goes wrong because we have such a limited perspective of like what this sign could mean. That I think in the broadest sense possible, yes, signs happen. Just take it as a sign that God's providence is over you. Right. And then move forward from there. Right. The sign is like, like like Job's response. Like when God tells him, like, you do not, like, where were you when I created the cosmos? Um, is like all of the things that are happening to Job are a sign of who he is. Whether that's yeah. like, you know, like ultimately he's a child of God. And so like whatever's happening to him that disposition is how he's going to interpret life and yeah. its various signs. It's like, that means I need to trust God more. Yeah. But, you know, like that's, that's his answer to that as opposed to like, well, this must be a referendum on that. Like I, God is not there or whatever. Yeah. It's like, no, no, no. Fundamentally remember who you are. And that is now changing your fate yeah. and your reality. And it's fascinating that after God gives that answer to Job, um, the book ends with Job having a hundredfold of what he had in the beginning. Right. And that's not, you know, that doesn't mean that he literally had more sheep. <laughs> what, like that's symbolic of saying, like once you have the understanding of your perspective, right? like no matter what happened before, you can come out on this mm-hmm. 
much better right. than you were before. Right. Um, yeah. You know, I, I do think there's some truth to what you said early, uh, at the beginning, Matt, was like uh, it, it could, in a sense, cheapen your responsibility, you know, as opposed to the, the harder work of maybe praying, uh, <clears throat> uh, reading scripture or getting some sort of spiritual advice or, you know, whatever it mm. may be, uh, that kind of work, um, you can perhaps flip a card or something like that that helps you get a, a more immediate answer. Um, mm. Even if it's, you know, even if it's maybe not in the moment, but at least it's something you're going to be looking out for mm-hmm. um, as, as a sign of, of whatever, whatever it is you, you, you prayed for to have on your mind. I mean, I, I, divine providence does get does get very tricky if if you yeah. really like yeah, no, <laughs> really wanted to get into it because yeah. you can. Um, uh, I think Thomas says it's it's impossible for God's uh, divine providence to be frustrated. Mm. Essentially, like what He has willed will be, mm-hmm. um, and it is tricky when you say like you know perhaps you were, you have this one fate. And then you do this action. Now there's another fate. Now it's a question of was that the fate, the second fate, the fate, right? The previous, the right, previous right, one. Right, you know, was right, it yeah. like you know? At what point? It, uh, you know, it, obviously, man is free. That yeah. that's um, that's a given. But at least for us, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> Not for because, Sam Harris, right? Because it, it's it's hard to say okay. that um, your actions have frustrated divine providence. Mm-hmm. Like, are you sure? That you did that, or is it more that that's actually that what was the willed. fate? Yeah, yeah all, you know, right. all all along. Um, and but you still are free to if it perhaps you chose poorly in mm-hmm. your mind, yeah. and now you have this second fate. You you still have the freedom though to make that good mm-hmm. or bad. You yeah, know, you can make on it a blessing small, or a curse. You know? On the smallest sense, yeah. I think of the way like what helps me understand that a little bit is like I will for my children to freely choose things. In certain circumstances. Right, and that's, that's and so when Thomas they choose one thing or too. another, it's not even a referendum on whether or not that was my will. Like, was that my dad's will that I choose this cookie over that cookie? It's like, that, I wanted you to choose. Yeah. And mm-hmm. so, like, you thinking, trying to draw it back to whether this was predestined. It's like the, right. the predestined was that you will choose. Yeah. And that's that's what Thomas says, is that like God desires all men to be saved, um, but then he also desires that all men be free. Uh, and so it's his concomitant will, and there's another word for his will. There's like Thomas breaks his will down into two categories, and um, I can't remember what they're called. But well, yeah, I, I know um, Bonaventure has the permissive will, and the and, concomitant yeah. will. Is that what it is? Yeah, yeah. But you know, there's all speculation about is that real or <laughs> is that real? <laughs> is that real? <laughs> no, is that a thing? You know, well, it sounds wills, real, right? It's per- yeah, it sounds real. Permissive will in the sense that like he's permitting you to do. To allow, like he allows certain right. things to happen because of man's freedom and the fall, whatever. Um, but then a, a will that governs, um, that I think is above that, and that like he desires good, right, and and, and all men to be saved again. Right. Um, it's it's one thing also to say that, like like you said, as um, a father, that was a good example. Uh, like just because God knows what will happen, doesn't mean that He is causing that to happen. Um, Thomas also says that we have the dignity of causality. Mm. Um, and that, like, we actually craft fate through our freedom. Um, right. God, God yeah. has willed kind of these secondary causalities. Yes. Yeah. That, that mm. Yeah. In, in creation, that man participate, or basically, actually, like all of the hierarchy of creation, yeah. right, participate in His divine plan. Yes. And and that's not to say, like, uh, a misunderstanding that of that would be like um, a, a a deist. Understanding is that like right. is God just removed then from the universe, but um, what Christianity would respond to is that no, he's he became man, mm-hmm. and like the ultimate. It's funny because the like man can change fate, and that's exactly what happened in the person of Christ. Mm. Is that that man changed fate, right? Um, right. But it's actually God becoming man, um, and then undoing um, what we were doomed for. Um, right. So nice. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I, I I could get deeper into this this uh, divine providence thing, but maybe maybe for another episode. Maybe I'll right. let it go because yeah. <laughs> it's a uh, well. You know, you hear the, the you hear the very pious stories of the saints. I think it's what Saint Anthony of the Desert. He stopped in a church, right, and it was like you know, in the gospel that day was 
give it, give everything away. Mm. And yeah. he, you know, and he and he walked right. down. He gave everything yeah. away. Well, except for ten percent. He kept it for mm-hmm. his sister. Mm-hmm. And then he walked like into the church the next day, and it was something, something about holding back. Not like you know, he who sets his hand to the plow or something and looks back mm-hmm. is yeah. not fit for the kingdom of God. He's like, okay, and he went back and took away all the money. Yeah. And yeah. So it's it's like, well, wasn't that going to be the gospel anyway? Yes. It's like, no, but he took it as a sign, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, that it was like, it was almost like this gospel yeah. was for him. And, and Augustine's conversion story is the same thing. Yeah, right? it was when, a tole lege or whatever. Yeah, take and read. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then he he went up to the scriptures that, he, I think it was, it belonged to St. Monica, or maybe it was his Bible, I don't know. But um, he just, he just looked at like what the page was open to. And it was, um, I think it was Paul saying, put on the armor of Christ. I think that's what it, the passage was. Yeah. Um, Ephesians something. And he's like, and he's like, and suddenly I just like, that was the moment of his conversion. It was like, you have to put on Christ. Like that was it. Mm. It could have been another passage. I don't know. Right. But like Augustine was very adamant that that's like, that was providential in his conversion. Yeah. Um, and so this is why it's also like everything that we said you know, valid, of course. I'm not going <laughs> to go back and undo that. But at the same time, like when, you know, someone comes to you, is like, Father, like this gospel today just spoke to me because this is what I'm dealing with. Yeah. I'm like, yes, sure. Yeah, right. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> sure. Um, gospel or is a, the word of God is a two-edged sword. Right. But, you know, like, um, but again, going back to this, like we have such a limited perspective of reality. Like what if St. Anthony heard another gospel? What if it was another day? And then he acted on that. Right. right, and then um, maybe that would have been in the history. I was books. like, saying, like did, what yeah. if Adam didn't eat the apple? It's like, yeah. uh, <laughs> whatever. Like, I mean, the, uh, like the possibilities are infinite. Yeah, of like where the entire universe can go. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but this is also again like going back to that like a uh, uh, uh similarly an example is that God can work with all of our choices, good or bad, mm-hmm. uh, into making something that's like beautiful and one and the ultimate fate. Yeah, um, so. I think summing up, I, I think people want they want signs, because I think people deep down want to know that there is, uh, like a greater either like there's there's a greater purpose to things or there's a greater meaning to things or their life isn't just subject to chance. Yeah, and, absolutely. Or like it's or an assurance that like someone's watching. Out yeah, I think Saint yeah. Paul says that in in uh, Th- Thessalonians, like your your life is not subject to like elemental powers, yeah. you know, because all throughout history there's sorcerers or fortune tellers or whatever it is, yeah. and people I think want that assurance that my life is not just a mistake and an accident. Yeah, there's some greater right. purpose, and um, I think the limited perspective too is a good, you know, that whatever's happening to you, you only have this this small snippet yeah. of a more of a, of a massive narrative and story. Yeah, exactly. General rule, interpret signs in hindsight. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, right. Yeah. yeah that's, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's go to the bonus. I have some more thoughts on that, but I also want to bring up something regarding AI. Uh, Peterson just talked to um, this guy named Brian Romley. Uh, it was a really interesting conversation, but we'll discuss it on the bonus. Um, if you want to hear our weekly bonus episodes, you can go to basicallyrelated.com to sign up. We'll see you next week.